Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, RPJ, and welcome to the final episode of Season 1's Dads Read Princess Stories. In our final episode of the season, we have storyteller extraordinaire Ryan Gladstone. Ryan is a jack of all trades when it comes to theater. He is a writer, director, actor, producer, improviser, and teacher. Ryan is the artistic director of Monster Theater and lives in Vancouver, BC, Canada with his beautiful and talented wife, Michelle Field, with their two children, Felix and Beatrix. You are in for a treat because for the season finale, Ryan Gladstone will be reading Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. Once upon a time, there was once a king that lived in the sea. This sea king had six lovely girls, the youngest being the most beautiful of them all. Her skin was as soft and tender as a rose petal, and her eyes were as blue as the deep sea. But like all the others, she had no feet. Her body ended in a fishtail. Outside the palace was a big garden, and each little princess had her own small garden plot, where she could dig and plant whatever she liked. The sisters decorated their gardens with all kinds of odd things they had found in sunken ships, but the youngest would allow nothing in hers except flowers as red as the sun and a pretty marble statue. This figure of a handsome boy carved in pure white marble had sunk down to the bottom of the sea from some ship that was wrecked. Nothing gave the youngest princess such pleasure as to hear about the world of human beings up above them. What seemed nicest of all to her was that up on land the flowers were fragrant, for those at the bottom of the sea had no scent and she thought it was nice that the woods were green. When you get to be fifteen, her grandmother said, you will be allowed to rise up out of the ocean and sit on the rocks in the moonlight to watch the great ships sailing by. You will see woods and towns, too. The youngest sister waited six long years until she was finally allowed to rise up out of the ocean. I just, I, I just, I mean, why, why tell the story? Why not start it when she's allowed to go up? Why, why have it six years early? There's no point. Sorry. Okay, here we go. Each year she would have to hear the story from each sister on how they spent their day among the waves. And at last, She had come to be fifteen. Goodbye, she said, and up she went through the water as light and as sparkling as a bubble. The sun had just gone down when her head rose above the surface. The air was mild and fresh and the sea unruffled. A great ship lay in view with only one of its sails set, for there was not even the whisper of a breeze. There was music and singing on the ship. The little mermaid swam right up to the window of the main cabin, and each time she rose with the swell, she could peep in through the clear glass panes at the crowd of brilliantly dressed people within. The handsomest of them all was a prince with big 
dark eyes. He could not be more than 16 years old. It was his birthday, and that was the reason for all the celebration. Oh, how handsome the young prince was. He laughed and he smiled and shook people by the hand while the music rang out in the perfect evening. But there was a mutter and rumble deep down in the sea and the swell kept bouncing her up so high that she could look into the cabin. Now the ship began to sail, the waves rose high, great clouds gathered, and lightning flashed in the distance. The tall ship pitched and rolled as it sped through the angry sea. The waves rose up like towering black mountains, as if they would break over the masthead. The ship creaked and labored. Waves broke over the ship. The masthead snapped in two. One moment, it would be black as pitch and she couldn't see a thing. Next moment, the lightning would flash so brightly that she could distinguish every soul on board. She watched closely for the young prince. And when the ship split in two, she saw him sink down into the sea. At first, she was overjoyed that he would be with her, but then she recalled that human people could not live under the water, and he could only visit her father's palace as a dead man. So she swam in among all the floating planks and beams, completely forgetting that they might crush her. She dived through the waves and rode their crests until at last she reached the young prince, who was no longer able to swim in that raging sea. His arms and legs were exhausted, his beautiful eyes were closing, and he would have died if the little mermaid had not come to help him. She held his head above water and let the waves take them wherever the waves went. At daybreak, when the storm was over, not a trace of the ship was in view. The sun rose out of the waters, red and bright, and its beams seemed to bring the glow of life back to the cheeks of the prince. But his eyes remained closed. She saw dry land rise before her in high blue mountains, topped with snow as glistening white. Down by the shore were splendid green woods, and in the foreground stood a church. Fine white sand had been washed up below the cliffs. She swam there with the handsome prince and stretched him out on the sand, taking special care to pillow his head up high in the warm sunlight. The mermaid kissed his high and shapely forehead. What shape? What, what, what shape? What's a nice shape for a forehead? I mean, I assume it's round. Anyway. As she stroked his wet hair in place, it seemed to her that he looked like that marble statue in her little garden. She kissed him again and hoped that he would live. The bells began to ring in the great white building, and a number of young girls came out into the garden. The little mermaid swam away behind some tall rocks that stuck out of the water. She covered her hair and her shoulders with foam so that no one could see her tiny face, and then she watched. The mermaid watched the prince regain consciousness and smile at everyone around him, but he did not smile at her, for he did not even know that she had saved him. 
she felt very unhappy, and when they led him away to the big building, she dived sadly down into the water and returned to her father's palace. She had always been quiet and wistful, and now she became much more so. Many evenings and many mornings she revisited the spot where she had left the prince. She saw the fruit in the garden ripened and harvested, and she saw the snow on the high mountain melted away, but she did not see the prince. So each time she came home sadder than she had left. On many nights she saw the fishermen come out to sea with their torches and heard them tell of how kind the young prince was. This made her proud to think that it was she who had saved his life, and she thought of how tenderly she had kissed him, though he knew nothing of this, nor could he even dream of it. Increasingly, she grew to like human beings, and more and more she longed to live among them. Their world seemed so much wider than her own. There was so much she wanted to know, if men aren't drowned, the little mermaid asked her grandmother one day, do they live forever? Don't they die as we do down here in the sea? Yes, the old lady said, they too must die, and their lifetimes are even shorter than ours. Ah, interesting. So mermaids live longer than people. I don't think I knew that before. Okay. <clears throat> we can live to be 300 years old. But when we perish, we turn into mere foam on the sea. We have no immortal soul, no life hereafter. We are like the green seaweed. Once cut down, it never grows again. Human beings, on the contrary, have a soul which lives forever, long after their bodies have turned to clay. It rises through thin air, up the shining stars. <laughs> Shows what mermaids know. Okay, let's see. Why were we given an immortal soul? The mermaid sadly asked. That's a very good question, I would say. I would gladly give up my 300 years if I could be a human being only for a day and later share in the heavenly realm. You must not think about that, said the old lady. Then I must also die and float as foam upon the sea, not hearing the music of the waves, and seeing neither the beautiful flowers nor the red sun. Red sun? What are they, from Krypton or something? Okay. Can't I do anything at all to win an immortal soul? No, her grandmother answered. Not unless there's one way. Actually, yeah, there's one way. Hold on one sec. There's one way. No. Well, one way. Not unless a human being loved you so much that you meant more to him than his father and mother. If his every thought and his whole heart cleaved to you so that he would let a priest join his right hand to yours and would promise to be faithful here and throughout eternity, then his soul would dwell in your body and you would share in the happiness of humankind. He would give you a soul and yet keep his own, but that can never come to pass. The very thing that is your greatest beauty here in the sea, your fish tail, would be considered ugly on land. They have such poor taste that to be thought beautiful there, you have to have two awkward props which they call 
legs. The Little Mermaid sighed and looked unhappily at her fishtail. The Little Mermaid suddenly had a thought. I dare do anything to win him and to gain an immortal soul. While my sisters are dancing here in my father's palace, I shall visit the sea witch, of whom I have always been so afraid. Perhaps she will be able to advise me and help me. I don't know if your plan involves visiting the sea witch. I think it's always the start of something bad. The little mermaid set out from her garden towards the whirlpools that raged in front of the witch's dwelling. She had never gone that way before. No flowers grew there, nor any seaweed. Bare and gray, the sands extended to the whirlpools. Beyond them, her house lay in the middle of a weird forest, where all the trees and shrubs were polyps, half animal and half plant. They looked like hundred-headed snakes growing out of the soil. All their branches were long, slimy arms with fingers like wriggling worms. They squirmed joint by joint from their roots to their outermost tentacles, and whatever they could lay hold of, they twined around and never let go. The little mermaid was terrified and stopped at the edge of the forest, her heart thumping with fear, and she nearly turned back, but then she remembered the prince and the souls that men have, and she summoned her courage. She reached a large, muddy clearing in the forest where big, fat water snakes slithered about, showing their foul, yellowish bellies. In the middle of this clearing was a house built of the stones of shipwrecked men, and there sat the sea witch, letting a toad eat out of her mouth. Ugh, gross. She called the ugly fat water snakes her little chickabiddies and let them crawl and sprawl about her spongy bosom. Ooh, good descriptive word. I know exactly what you want, said the sea witch. You want to get rid of your fishtail and have two props instead, so that you can walk about like a human creature and have the young prince fall in love with you and win him and an immortal soul besides. At this, the witch gave such a loud cackling laugh that the toad and the snakes were shaken to the ground where they lay writhing. I shall compound you a draft. And before sunrise, you must swim to the shore with it, seat yourself on dry land, and drink the draft down. Then your tail will divide and shrink until it becomes what the people on earth call a pair of shapely legs. But it will hurt. It will feel as if a sharp sword slashed through you. Everyone who sees you will say that you are the most graceful human being they have ever laid eyes on, for you will keep your gliding movements, and no dancer will be able to tread as lightly as you, but every step you take will feel as if you were treading upon knife blades, so sharp that blood must flow. I am willing to help you, but are you willing to suffer all this? And remember... Once you have taken a human form, you can never be a mermaid again. 
You can never come back through the waters to your sisters or to your father's palace. And if you do not win the love of the prince so completely that for your sake he forgets his father and mother, cleaves to you with his every thought and his whole heart, and lets the priest join your hands in marriage, then you will win no immortal soul. If he marries someone else, your heart will break on the very next morning, and you will become foam of the sea. Also, you will have to pay me. You have the sweetest voice of anyone down here at the bottom of the sea. I will take the very best thing that you have in return for my sovereign draft. But if you take my voice, said the little mermaid, what will be left to me? Your lovely form, the witch told her. Your gliding movements, your eloquent eyes. With these you can easily Enchant a human heart. Well, have you lost your courage? Stick out your little tongue and I shall cut it off. I'll have my price and you shall have the potent draft. Ooh, she is mean. Go ahead, said the little mermaid. There's your draft. Oh, that's quick, said the witch. And she cut off the tongue of the little mermaid, who was now dumb and could neither sing nor talk. And just so, it doesn't mean like she's not smart. It means dumb me is another word for like you can't talk. Like she, she's, she can't speak because she doesn't have a tongue. She could probably make some sounds. Anyway, let's move on. The little mermaid mounted up through the dark blue sea. And when she finally saw the prince's palace, she swallowed the bitter, fiery draft. And it was as if a two-edged sword struck through her frail body. She swooned away and lay there as if she were dead. When the sun rose over the sea, she awoke and felt a flash of pain. But directly in front of her stood the handsome young prince, gazing at her with his coal-black eyes. Lowering her gaze, she saw that her fishtail was gone, and that she had the loveliest pair of white legs any young maid could hope to have. But she was naked, so she clothed herself with her own long hair. Ooh, that was close. The prince asked who she was and how she came to be there. Her deep blue eyes looked at him tenderly, but very sadly, for she could not speak. Then he took her hand and led her into his palace. Every footstep felt as if she were walking on the blades and points of sharp knives, just as the witch had foretold. But she gladly endured it. She moved as lightly as a bubble as she walked beside the prince. He and all who saw her marveled at the grace of her gliding walk. Once clad in the rich silk and muslin garments that were provided for her, she was the loveliest person in all the palace, though she was dumb and could neither sing nor speak. She charmed everyone, and especially the prince, who called her his dear little foundling. Day after day, she became more dear to the prince, who loved her as one would love a good little child, but he never thought of making her his queen. Yet she had to be his wife, or she would never have an immortal soul. And on the morning after his wedding, she would turn into foam on the waves. 
Now rumors arose that the prince was to wed the beautiful daughter of a neighboring king, and that it was for this reason he was having such a superb ship made ready to sail. The rumor ran that the prince's real interest in visiting the neighboring kingdom was to see the king's daughter, and that he was to travel with a lordly retinue. Retinue? Goodness. Uh, that's like a bunch of people following him, is what that means. The little mermaid shook her head and smiled, for she knew the prince's thoughts far better than anyone else did. I am forced to make this journey, he told her. I must visit the beautiful princess, for this is my parents' wish, but they would not have me bring her home as my bride against my own will, and I can never love her. The little mermaid was curious to see how beautiful this princess was, and she had to grant that a more exquisite figure she had never seen. The princess's skin was clear and fair, and behind the long, dark lashes, her deep blue eyes were smiling and devoted. So they just traveled there in the middle of a sentence. Okay. It was you, the prince cried. You are the one who saved me when I lay like a dead man beside the sea. He clasped the blushing bride of his choice in his arms. Oh, I am happier than a man should be, he told his little mermaid. My fondest dream, that which I have never dared to hope, has come true. You will share in my great joy, for you love me more than anyone does. The little mermaid kissed his hand and felt that her heart was beginning to break. For the morning after his wedding day, he would see her dead and turned to watery foam. Yeah, like, who's he talking to? I, I don't understand what's happening. Danes, classic. The little mermaid, clothed in silk and cloth of gold, held the bride's train. But she was deaf to the wedding march, and blind to the holy ritual. Her thought turned on her last night on earth, and on all she had lost in this world. So he, for for some reason, he thinks the other woman, the princess, is the one who saved him. But then he's like holding the mermaid's hand? Uh, doesn't make any sense. Who wrote this? Yes. It was the last night that she would breathe the same air with him, or look upon deep waters, or the star fields of the blue sky. A never-ending night, without thought and without dreams, awaited her, who had no soul and could not get one. The merry-making lasted long after midnight, yet she laughed and danced on, despite the thought of death she carried in her heart. The prince kissed his beautiful bride, and she toyed with his coal-black hair. Coal-black eyes, coal-black hair. Then she saw her sisters rise up among the waves. They were as pale as she, and there was no sign of their lovely long hair that the breezes used to blow. It had all been cut off. We have given our hair to the witch, they said, so that she would send you help and save you from death tonight. She gave us a knife. Here it is. See the sharp blade? Before the sun rises, you must strike it into the prince's heart. What? Oh, my goodness. And when his warm blood bathes your feet, they will grow together and become a fishtail. Then you will be a mermaid again, able to come back to us in the sea and live out your three hundred years before you die and turn into dead salt sea foam. Make haste. He or you must die before sunrise. 
the little mermaid, parted the purple curtains of the tent and saw the beautiful bride asleep with her head on the prince's breast. The mermaid bent down and kissed his shapely forehead. There we are with a shapely forehead again. She looked at the sky, fast reddening for the break of day. She looked at the sharp knife and again turned her eyes toward the prince, who in his sleep murmured the name of his bride. His thoughts were all for her, and the knife blade trembled in the mermaid's hand. But then she flung it from her, far out over the waves, where it fell. The waves were red as if bubbles of blood seethed in the water. With eyes already glazing, she looked once more at the prince and hurled herself over the bulwarks into the sea and felt her body dissolve into foam. That's the end. Oh my goodness, that, that's a sad ending. That's not how the movie ends. Oh my goodness, okay, well, I guess the moral of the story is... Don't sacrifice your hair for your sister, because she'll never appreciate it as much as you hope she will. I mean, now they're hairless, and she just threw the knife away. She could have used it for something else, at least. Well, good night. That was Ryan Gladstone reading Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. You can follow Ryan on Instagram at rtowngstone and on Twitter at MonsterRyan12 and on Facebook at Ryan Gladstone. Also check out Monster Theater on social media under at Monster Theater or their website monstertheater.com. Also on June 4th, Monster Theater will be celebrating 20 years of theater live on their YouTube channel. You guessed it, Monster Theater. You can find Dads Read Princess Stories on Instagram and Facebook at Dads Read Princess Stories and on Twitter at Dads Read. If you have not already done so, please consider liking and subscribing to the podcast. We have one more bonus episode coming out this week on the history of The Little Mermaid that is filled with information that will make you look at the story in a whole new way. You won't want to miss it. Also, this may be the end of season one, but we will be back sooner rather than later with season two, and you won't want to miss out on that next season. Until then, I'm RPJ. Stay safe.